Amen. Good morning, everyone. I no longer need to say what I used to say every time I was here, um, that I'm Douglas Tapp, an executive pastor, and I lead Pastor Ben is on sabbatical, um, because this is, this is real. He's not an apparition. And, and as Ben said, we, we are in week four now of the Grace Gifts series, which is based on the text of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. And we're going to read that together as we begin. If anyone would like a Bible, we have Bibles. If you would just raise your hand and keep your hand raised right where you are, one of the ushers will spot your hand and bring you a Bible so we can read together. But the text is also going to be on the screen, um, uh, and, and I, I probably need to get something out of the way before we start. There's this food that comes from Italy that you eat a lot, beginning with P. What do you call that? Okay, okay. And the term for someone who is an executive is a? Okay. I'm going to mispronounce pasta all morning. <laughs> it's going to sound like the thing you eat. <laughs> so I'm just going to get that out of the way now. <laughs> we got it out of the way? All right. <laughs> Let's read together. But to each one of us, grace was given, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. And breaking that down, you see a few things. And I just want to spend a little time recapping since we've been in this series for a bit um, you see a crisis defined in verse 14. It says that there's immaturity and people are children and they're unstable and they're easily deceived and they're not being or doing the good things mentioned such as speaking the truth in love. So this is a text that's telling us that there's a crisis, but it also tells us that there's an answer to the crisis. The answer is that grace gifts are given to each of us in verse 7 and the gifts are the gift of apostle the gift of prophet, the gift of evangelist, the gift of pastor, the gift of teacher, verse 11, for three things, for equipping of saints, for works of ministry, for edifying the body. And here's the interesting thing that you see in the text is that the exercise of those gifts yields something. So even though there was a crisis of immaturity and a crisis of people being unstable, a crisis of people being easily deceived, a crisis of people not doing the right things, the exercise of these gifts achieve something, yield something. And the text tells us in verses 15 to 16 that it yields unity. It yields knowledge. It yields perfection. It yields consistency. It yields maturity. So if we're ever concerned and complaining about the lack of unity, 
or the lack of knowledge or the lack of perfection or the lack of consistency or that we hear something and we rush after it and we hear something else and we rush in the other way and we're just like reeds in the winds and we hear this new theory and this new conspiracy theory and we go after it and then we hear another one and we go the other way. This passage seems to tell us that the cause of it is the absence of the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, working in the church. And how it works, verse 16, and let's read these words together. Every part does its share. All together, every part does its share. And are you part of every part? And am I part of every part? And so the text seems to say that if we have the sense that the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher is for a few, a select few, and it tells us that Therefore, the, the, the crisis in the world may be proliferated, may go on, and we may not find ourselves in a place of maturity and unity and knowledge and perfection and consistency because we have relegated it to a few and we've delegated it to a few and we've said that you do it and I watch you do it. This text is saying the opposite. Every part does its share. And our approach each week has been to hold up to you as best we can a mirror. The mirror is based on the text of 2 Corinthians 3.18, which says we're all beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. And as we continue to look at the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, we're being transformed from glory to glory. And so there's a sense in which if we hold up to you the best image, the best picture, as we can best discern it, as we can best define it and identify it, the gift, each gift each week, that it may be that you see some of that gift in yourself. And seeing that gift in yourself, you may be motivated to begin to operate and use and work with that gift instead of having a sense that that gift doesn't exist, and I don't have it, and other people have it. And so the gifts so far that we've spoken about are the gift of apostle, and we came up with a definition. And bear in mind that these definitions are definitions that we, we came up with as we try to search the whole of Scripture and come up with a definition that was as, 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 as watertight as we could find it. And the definition of an apostle was one who was called, chosen by God, and separated to his gospel, and sent to establish foundations that do what? Evaporate? No, foundations that endure in new contexts, in new places, new experiences, persevering with an experience consistent with all apostles and with evident life signs. And I remember speaking to some people at the end of that week who came and said that I'm an apostle. Some people came and said that my mother or father are apostles, and I remember speaking to a couple who said my mother and father are apostles, and they're in jail in some far-flung part of the world at the moment for what they've done, going and establishing in a new context. The gospel in foundations, persevering with evident life signs. And if I asked if there were any of you here who had a sense that the gift of apostle as presented to you is in you, I see a show of hands. So not many, just a few. And as we progressed, we progressed into the second week, Meredith taught, and Meredith had a, a weight of text to come up with a definition from, and she did a, a, an amazing job synthesizing those texts into a definition. The prophet was one who was called away to speak forth on behalf of God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a special message that is clear and tested and builds the church. And if I asked you how many of you saw that in yourselves, could I see a show of hands? A few more. 
And then two weeks ago, Ali taught on the evangelist as one who was compelled by the Spirit to share the good news of Jesus, overcoming bad news, demonstrating the power of God, and making clear the mysteries of God, baptizing new believers and advancing the kingdom. And how many of you saw as the mirror was held up to you, that in yourselves? And today we're coming to the next gift, which is that of pastor. And it's a word we're familiar with because it's derived from a Latin word which means herdsman. And a herdsman herds what? Sheep. Um, And it's from the verb in Latin which means to feed. So the simple definition we're going to shift to this morning is that of shepherd. um, As many translations, including the English Standard Version, translated as a shepherd. And so since we're talking about shepherds, can we pause for a moment to talk a little bit about sheep? How many of you have sheep? We have no sheep farmers, no shepherds here, right? If we were in an Old Testament, New Testament context, the room would have probably been filled with shepherds, right? Um, How many of you have seen a sheep? How many of you have petted a sheep? How many of you eat lamb? (laughs) Let's speak about the tendency of sheep. Now, sheep have tendencies. What's a tendency of sheep? Someone tell me one. Everybody said that all at the same time. I couldn't discern. (laughs) Did someone say they have a tendency to wander, to go astray? All right, what else? And to scatter, what else? Are they vulnerable to predators? They get eaten, right? So their wandering off is not good because when they wander off, and we could show you YouTube videos of this, but we're not going to do that this morning. Not this bit, but there is something we're going to ask you to look at YouTube at in a a little moment. They're vulnerable to predators. They flock. They follow. You see one sheep heads off in one direction. Everyone else follows it. So if we're watching the sheep and we're like, well, I don't know why we're going this way. It's because he's going that way, right? Is that another tendency of sheep? Um, and, and, And in front of you, you have a QR code. This is the interactive moment of the sermon, or one of them. Get your phones out. Everyone know how to scan a QR code? Apparently, there are some who do not. No? Okay, we're not going to do it really fast. There was going to be a QR code with two links. Let's do this. Go to YouTube. Go to YouTube, go to a search engine, and in the search engine, type sheep ditch. Ditch, sheep and ditch, two words. Can we take that definition down for a second, please? We're not there yet. Everyone's gone to sheep ditch. You see two videos of sheep and ditch. Watch one, then watch the other one. What happens? What happens in that video? (laughs) And you can watch the second video in your own time. But what what we were going to do was we were going to make it easier for you to do it, but it was that easy, right? You, you clear a sheep out of a ditch, what does a sheep do? It jumps straight back into the ditch. Now this is not CGI people, right? This is legitimate. So that's telling us that, okay, everybody's seen it now, right? <laughs> so not only do sheep flock and, and, and are they vulnerable to predators and they go astray and they get lost and they scatter, but they have a tendency to do this. If we wanted to come up with a word that described the tendency to do this, it would be what? Stupid. Another one. Ignorant. Exasperating. Endless words we could come up to describe it. People, this is us. 
This is us. This is us. Right, as funny as it is to look at the sheep that is cleared from the space and jumps immediately back into it, unfortunately, this is our tendency. We tend to flock. We tend to scatter. We tend to go astray and get devoured, eaten by predators, people that are just hanging around trying to, trying to lead us in the wrong direction. We tend to flock and follow. We follow people. It's a human tendency. This is the reason why when you look at history and there have been these despotic leaders that lead people to do terrible things, you think, why would they do it? It's because we have this inherent desire to follow. Why would anyone in Nazi Germany do that? Why would anyone follow a country that way? Would anyone in, the, in any other aspect of history recently follow a dictator blindly to the point that the guy ends up killing himself in a bunker because the, the thing he was leading to was so impossible and so horribly wrong? And we still do it. So thinking about the characteristics of sheep, Jesus has given the gift of shepherd. So it means there's no point complaining about the fact that sheep are idiotic and stupid and dumb and follow each other and flock and all that sort of thing. The reason is because the shepherds aren't doing their jobs. Our tendencies don't change. And so I came up with a definition of a shepherd, and unfortunately, or fortunately, it's a real short one. Um, because in previous weeks, we were talking about concepts of apostle and prophet and, and evangelist, which are not common terms to us. But when we think about what a shepherd is, this is my definition. One who shepherds the Lord's flock. Simple. Whose flock? My flock? His flock. And to help us understand the definition, I'm going to read through four passages of Scripture in order to try and build a word cloud of terms that describe the shepherd. And as each of these words come up and as the cloud is built, I hope you begin to see, as this mirror is held up to you, some of the aspect of the gifting of shepherd in even yourself. And so I'm going to begin with Psalm 23, which says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Which is about what? Provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures, tells me that the shepherds respect rest. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Shepherd's one who refreshes, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That is about refining. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. What's that about? That's about presence. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd disciplines you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, giving favor. You anoint my head with all my cup runs over. The shepherd is one who is empowering. From one passage of scripture, some aspects of the gift of shepherd that you might begin to see in yourself. We go to Ezekiel 34, 1 to 4. It starts a little harshly here because it says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. So that's the opposite of providing for the flock. You're providing instead for yourself. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you don't feed the flock. So again, that's the word provision again. It's making clear that the work of the shepherd is to provide. The weak you have not strengthened, 
the shepherds strengthening, nor have you healed those who were sick, healing, nor bound up the broken, comforting, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, rescuing. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. What's the opposite of force and cruelty? It's compassion. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through the mountains on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. The shepherd is one who is protecting. Look at those words for a moment. Do you have any of those things in you? A third passage, John 21, 15 to 17. I'm going to read through all of this, and we're going to sum it up as best we can with a phrase right at the end. And this is Jesus speaking to Peter after the crucifixion. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He's not calling them sheep yet. He's calling them lambs at this point. Feed my lambs. The lambs are the little things. And when you feed lambs, they become sheep. But they're presently lambs. He says to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, I know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter's grieved because he keeps asking him the same question. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. So it's telling us that the shepherd is someone who nurtures to maturity. Nurturing to maturity is another aspect of the gifting of shepherd. You recognize that you're starting with lambs. You recognize that lambs with all of these things with presence and rescuing and refining and empowering and refreshing and giving comfort and disciplining and respecting rest and healing and strengthening. Lambs may be growing up to become sheep that you have to tend, that you have to love, that you have to care for. And then the last passage about shepherds is this one. And this is Jesus speaking about himself. In John 10, verses 11 to 16, adding in verse 27, he says, I am the good shepherd. So Jesus is saying, look, if you want a mirror of the perfect shepherd, I'm going to hold myself up to you. Judge your shepherd in the light of me. Judge the way you consider yourself to be a good or a bad shepherd in the light of the kind of shepherding that I do. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling... He who is not the shepherd, one who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Let's talk about Jesus as a shepherd who is what? Loyal and brave. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the shepherd, but the shepherd instead is caring. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I am known by my own. Verse 27 says the same thing. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's someone who empathizes with the flock. You get them. You understand people's predicament, people's plight, the things people are struggling with, the things people are finding hard, the things people are wrestling with to overcome, the things that people are failing in consistently. You see it. You empathize with it. You don't abandon. You don't desert. You care. And they know you. And you're known by them. 
And the Father knows me, even as so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's about a shepherd who lives sacrificially. Living sacrificially is an aspect of the calling of shepherd. And other sheep which I have, I have which are not of this fold, them I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the last phrase to go up is a kingdom perspective. The shepherd has a kingdom perspective. You think about that. Jesus is saying that I have a flock, but this isn't all of it. There are others. He recognizes that within the walls of the, or, the, or the sheepfold that he has some sheep, but there are other sheep out there as well. And so it's not all about the ones that are here. And there's even a point when Jesus says he'll leave the 99 to go after the one that's gone. In a sense in which his kingdom perspective is, it's not all about what's here. It's about the entirety of his flock. So I want you to pause and look at those words for a little bit. Because that's the mirror I'm holding up to you of a simple definite, of a term which will simply, a shepherd is one who shepherds the Lord's flock. What does it mean to shepherd the Lord's flock? It means to protect. It means to be loyal and brave. It means you, there's got to be presence. It means you've got to be one who's rescuing and nurturing and refines, nurturing to maturity. You're compassionate. You're living sacrificially. You're providing. You're empowering, you're empathizing and knowing, you're caring, you're refreshing, you're giving favor, you're comforting, you're disciplining, you have a kingdom perspective, you respect rest, you're strengthening, you're healing. How many of you is this? How about if I said that the shepherd's called to shepherd their own family? How many of you is this? Or their co-workers. How many of you is this? Or the people in your neighborhood. How many of you is this? Or the people in your kingdom community. How many of you is this? Or your spouse. Every spouse, put your hand up. <laughs> because when we narrowly define shepherding, we miss it. We miss that the gift wasn't given to a few who lead churches and have the title pastor, maybe. But maybe the gift is in every one of us to some extent. So what I'm trying to do is hold a mirror up to you so you begin to see that the gift is in more of us than we think the gift is in. And that the shepherding responsibility is one that we all bear. Because it's unfair for the parent to bring their children to the children's ministry or the middle or the high school ministry and expect them to correct things that that parent doesn't correct seven days of the week, 24 hours of the day. It's unfair for the husbands and the wives to bring their spouses to Ben or myself or anyone else that teaches and say, fix them if you can't do it over seven days of the week. 24 hours of the year, day, however many years you've been married to them that we weren't around for. Yes? Every one of us has an aspect of this. I think every one of us, more people than put their hands up, have an aspect of the gift of evangelist and prophet and apostle. 
And I'm not saying that you have to be full one, full on one another, that there's fragments of all of this, that there is, if Jesus is alive and living in you, if the Spirit of God is alive in you, then these things are there. And I'm asking you just to wake them up and to excavate them and to bring them to life and to fan them to flame and to walk in them in power and in boldness and in confidence rather than in timidity and in fear. And there are some examples. And so what we've done each week is we've defined the gift, we've broken the gift down, and then we've given you some examples and spoken about some strengths and weaknesses and then a little practically. And I've jumped a little ahead to the practical aspect. But there are, there, are, there are many examples in Scripture of shepherds. Peter, of course, is one in the New Testament. Peter's one in whom respect Jesus says to him. Um, this is the point that Jesus is saying that you're all going to deny me. And Peter says, I never will. I'll give my life for you. I will never deny you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've had a conversation with Satan about you. Imagine that. I had a conversation with Satan about you. And Satan's asked to sift you like wheat violently shake you to the point that you are wrecked. And Peter's probably thinking, is that it? What did you say? Did you say you could? How's it going to end for me? Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. At which point Peter was like, oh, thank God. So no, this one, this one, his prayers are answered. Jesus says, I prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you've returned to me, look at Jesus is saying, when you've returned, not if you return. My Jesus is so confident. In his prayer about Peter, even though Satan's going to sift him like wheat, he's given the, set the limits to the sifting. He set the extent of the sifting. And the sifting's going to undo Peter and break his flesh and lead him to a place of vulnerability and recognizing that apart from God, he can't do anything but filled with the power of God and walking in the way of the Lord that Jesus has defined for him, he can do everything. I've prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you've returned to me, Jesus says, strengthen your brethren, pastor them shepherd them who's the first one to stand up on the day of pentecost when there's confusion in that upper room we're drunk they're drunk they're all drunk up there right whatever's going on there's madness going on and peter's like someone's got to get a grip here and stand up and be vulnerable on behalf of them and be clear on behalf of them and take leadership peter does this Another example of a shepherd in Scripture is Moses. Well, interestingly, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years in the wilderness before the burning bush experience. Isn't that interesting? God chooses a shepherd to shepherd the nation of Israel because Moses has learned things about sheep in the wilderness in Midian for 40 years, right? And he's learned that the sheep will run off and scatter. He's learned that sheep complain. Nah, that's basically saying Moses, nah, right? If we could speak sheep... My cat is like this. Uh, I have a cat, cute thing. But when you leave her outside for too long, she literally comes in the door. Right, I swear that cat is cussing at me, right? <laughs> You've left me out too long. Looks at the food bowl, there's no food in it. Where's my food, man? Right, all of this is going on. I think this is what's going on in Anna and my telling. It's exactly how it is, isn't it? Okay. Sheep are the same. Moses has watched the sheep and he saw, when they look at him going, Neh. saying, where's our water? Which is what the children of Israel said in the desert. Five sheep gang up on him. Neh. Right? We're fed up of eating manna. Where's the rest of the food? Two particularly officious looking sheep come up. Neh. Right? That's Miriam and Aaron complaining about Moses. 
And the amazing thing is that the Bible tells us, and there's even a point at which Moses sends Numbers 11, 12, 13, 14 will tell you these stories of Moses leading the children of Israel through the desert about their complaining that we was better to be back in Egypt. It's, we've not given us enough food or we've not given us food or the right kind and we're fed up of eating manna and we need meat now and we want water and we want this and we want that and we want this and we want that. And then Moses even has to, compl- even has to contend with the visionless amongst him. Think about that. Because he sends how many spies to the promised land And when he sends them to the promised land, do all 12 of them come back and say, it's great, we can do this. No, 10 of them say, this is ridiculous. The vision that you're giving us is nonsense. We can't do it. Only two see it. So this amazing thing is telling you something about the experience of shepherding. There's going to be complaining from your spouse, your children, your co-workers, your congregation, your kingdom community, the people, whoever God calls you to shepherd. Not everyone's going to get the vision that you're trying to share. But you're standing in line with Moses. And like Moses, in Numbers 14, 11 to 25, Moses intercedes for them. God says, these people are so terrible when they go up to the promised land and they come back and say, we can't do this. God says to Moses, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just destroy them all and start again with you. I'm going to build a greater nation. And some pastors might have said, come on. If you build them on the basis of me, it's going to be a much better nation. But Moses says, no, because God, if you do that, the nations are going to look around and say that you, you, your hand wasn't strong enough to deliver them to the land, and you failed them, and, you, and you're not the God who's compassionate and full of mercy. And God is reminded of the things he said about himself by Moses. Moses intercedes as a shepherd. You intercede for the ones that complain. As a shepherd, you intercede for the ones that gang up in leadership and try and overthrow you. In a she- as, a shepherd, you, you, as a shepherd, you're compassionate and you intercede for the folks who don't see the vision the way you see the vision. A third example in Scripture is David, simply Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 36. What's David doing again? God keeps calling shepherds. David's out there and he says that when the bear comes and the lion comes and the lion carries off the sheep, what do I do? I run because I'm afraid of the lion and the bear. No, he says, I just, okay, here we go. He has a sling that's effective. I don't think David uses the sling on Goliath for the first time. I think David used this sling to take down the lion or the bear that's trying to run off with his sheep. So he's fully proficient when the bear or the lion in the form of Goliath stands up and tries to take down the nation of Israel. David's proficient in this. Peter, Moses, David, shepherds, every one of them demonstrating aspects of Jesus' gifting. As Jesus is described in 1 Peter 2.25 as the shepherd and overseer of our souls. As Matthew 9.36 says this, when Jesus sees the multitude, he's moved with compassion because they are weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. So let me move to some strengths and weaknesses of shepherds, a strength. A shepherd is known. Your sheep know you. You can't be a spouse or a shepherd of your neighborhood or your workplace and no one knows you. You're known. What's the opposite of being known? What's the weakness of being known? It's famous. You're so known that you're dependent. They're dependent on you. You make people depend on you, that they can't do anything without you. We know that that's a risk, that's a precipice, that it's easy to fall off. So we work hard to be known, 
but we don't work so hard that we're so famous and so indispensable and so codependent, in, we put ourselves in relationships with codependents that people can't do one thing without us. Husbands, wives, parents, children. Another strength, the shepherd is committed. Shepherd seeks what is lost. But overcommitment means that you're controlling. Think about that. I'm so committed to leading Brandon that effectively Brandon over a period of time only does what I tell him to do. I'm so committed to helping him, to guiding him, to leading him that eventually he can't move or think or breathe without me telling him how to do it. That's not how this is meant to be. Third thing, a third strength, a shepherd is compassionate. A weakness is they're callous. And I think the difference between compassion and callous is because you think of in Psalm 23, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, that's a sense in which there's discipline that might be a little uncomfortable for the sheep. Yes. A little uncomfortable discipline for the sheep. I think that if you discipline in a compassionate way, full of love, it's fine. If you take love out of that same discipline, it becomes callous. But I think the calling is nevertheless still to discipline, but to discipline with hearts filled of love. Parents, we know the times when we want to discipline our kids because we're mad. I'm not sure those are the times we should do it. Sure, we should do it when we don't want to do it. When because the thing we see them doing is the thing that we did more than they did. And our hearts are filled with love and our hearts are breaking. And if you're disciplining, Whatever it is you're doing, your heart is filled with pain and compassion, and your eyes may be filled with tears even as you're disciplining. I think that's how the Lord disciplines those he loves with compassion, not callously. Another strength, the shepherd is refreshing. The opposite of refreshing, the weakness of the shepherd that refreshes too much. If I spend so much time refreshing you and refreshing you, the shepherd wears out, and you wear out. There's a passage in the book of Exodus 18, in, in Exodus chapter 18, where Moses, who's the shepherd of Israel, is sitting from morning to night, shepherding the flock. And his father-in-law, Jethro, comes up to him and says, Moses, what's this you're doing? He says, well, the people come to me, and they have all their issues, and I teach them, and I lead them, and I judge between their disputes. And Jethro says, Moses, no, no. He says, this thing you do is not good. Because if you keep doing this, you're going to wear the people out and you're going to wear yourself out. So one of the tendencies of the shepherd is to get worn out because of a heart that wants to over-refresh. I'm trying to refresh you and 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 double-refresh you and triple-refresh you guys at the back. And at the end of the day, I've got nothing left. And you know what? I'm over-refreshing you. You're fed up of me. And I'm actually fed up of you because I've tried to refresh you so much. And you're just complaining about me refreshing you, right? You see? And what Moses is told to do by Moses' wisdom, he says, is he effectively says, he, he appoints leaders to, to lead fives and tens and fifties and hundreds, and he shares the leadership burden with them. So what this means is that we've got to understand the extent of our shepherding gift. Some of us may have gifts that you could shepherd thousands, but I don't think so. Moses couldn't do it. Maybe ones and twos. And when we try to shepherd huge amounts of people, it goes wrong. We burn out, they burn out, 
and we come back to the issues we have in the world, which means that we're all not reaching maturity and we're easily led astray. And you're not seeing how this is working because everyone's not doing their share. But if everyone here shepherded, there'd be no worn-out shepherds and there'd be no worn-out people. Fifth strength, the shepherd is protecting. The shepherd will give his or her life for the sheep. The shepherd will build the wall to protect the sheep. The shepherd will shut the door at night to protect the sheep. The shepherd will go downstairs and make sure that the kids lock the door at night so no one can walk in to protect the sheep in the house. Make sure the perimeter lights are working and then the security cameras are on and all those sort of things. The shepherd will lock the doors in the cars when you're driving through certain parts of town. The shepherd will do all of these things. But you know what the over-shepherding means is that you become cliquey. That we're so concerned about the walls of here or the walls of my house or the gates on my community that I'm shutting people in, but I'm shutting everyone else out. And so watch this in your kingdom communities. That you're so focused on community that you're actually, even when you stand here, you stand. Watch when you stand in groups with people that you know here that we stand and we're facing each other in a way that no one else can get in. And if there's three of them, one's here, one's here, one's here, we're close, we're facing inwards. We're not looking outwards. And our approach to protect what we have and to shepherd is actually looking like a clique to everyone else. And the church is this. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about every church. The reason that pastors and congregations can't speak is because every shepherd who's leading a congregation is so protecting of his or her flock that they become a clique and they name that clique with the name of a new church and the name of a new denomination and they don't speak to the people next door and the people next door and the people down the street. And so I go to a new city and I say, I've been given a vision to lead this whole city to the Lord and I don't talk to anyone else in the city and I try and do it all on my own because I'm so protecting or cliquey. Strength, weakness. And the last strength is the shepherd is one who has empathy. But the problem is when I know you, and I really know you, and I want to know what's going on in your life, I want to know how you're suffering, I want to know how you're hurting, is that I get all your secrets. So you have to watch this, people. You have to watch the reason you want to know people. It's not that you can speak negatively about them to other people. You want to know what's going on in someone's life because you're full of empathy. Instead, the real reason is so you can trade information. That's not what the shepherd is called to do. The shepherd is called to be known, committed, compassionate, refreshing, protecting, empathetic. And so let me end here practically where I hinted at a little earlier. When that word cloud was up, if you saw yourself... I want you to recognize that your spouse, your children, your kingdom community, your neighbors, the Grace Marietta family, those beyond these walls who aren't here yet, are part of the Lord's flock. So the call is not just to shepherd those you want to, but the ones who are Jesus's. So you realize that that's about a process of discerning requires insight, it requires wisdom, it requires understanding to see, Lord, who are you calling me to shepherd? If you're walking through a street in town and you have a heart for the people in that street in town, Jesus might be calling you to shepherd people who live there. Jesus might be calling you to your neighbor on your left or your right. 
Maybe calling you to the person at the gym or people at the gym. Maybe he's calling you to shepherd an entire gym. Maybe he's calling you to go and become a personal trainer so you can shepherd more people. Maybe he's calling you to start teaching gym classes so you can shepherd people in that sense on the auspices of pretending to teach some exercise. Maybe he's calling you to do other things. You all sense these things? That your heart's filled with compassion and love and wanting to lead them in favor and wanting to correct them and wanting to train them and wanting to encourage them and wanting to heal them and wanting to comfort them, even though they're complaining and ganging up against you and doing the thing like that sheep did. You free them from something and bound, bound, bound back into it. Praise God that God's heart of love for us is one of compassion. And here's the insight and understanding that I just want you to think of. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as you're looking at the people God's called you to shepherd, be asking God, what are you leading them to? What do you want for them? They're yours. They're your flock. It's not what I want. You called them, 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 9 says, with a holy calling, given in to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Jesus is, Isaiah 64, 8 says, the potter. We're the work of his hand. We are the clay. So when you look at your spouse, and try and make her or him into the image that you want them to be. Instead, our responsibility is with understanding to look at them and say, God, who did you make her or him? Who do you make this child that you've given to me to be from before the beginning of time? So often we just mold people into these shapes because we're hyper-shepherded them, right? Helicopter parenting, I think is one of those terms. We're so in their space and you're so going to be this. And you're so going to do this. And these are the career options for you. Don't let your parents do that to you. You have to have a sense of which what God's calling is as you co-discern with them. Who did God form you to be in your mother's womb? What did he gift you to be from before the beginning of time? And how is he leading you in that? And as you as a shepherd come alongside that person, how can you lead them better, comfort them better, empower them better, give them favor better, heal, bind up, be present with, protect for God's good purposes? Amen? So I hope as you've heard this, it's encouraged you. We have one more week next week, and Darrell's going to be teaching us about the gift of teacher. Um, I don't know whether I'm a good shepherd or not. This convicted me as I was preparing. At the end of the day, even if you have pastor in your title, it doesn't make you a good one. But primarily, I've got, to, I've got to look at my wife and like, it's not, not who God wants, not who I want her to be. I've got to see God, who, who did you desire her to be from before the beginning of time? When I look at our kids, I have desires and ideas about what I want them to be. But it's like, hang on, no, Lord, how do I lead them in the direction that you wanted them to be is the clay in the master's hands. And so we're going to um, come to a moment of communion. Um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to take communion in your families alone in groups with others around you however you feel led this morning there are communion stations on the left communion stations on the right communion stations at the rear um, the prayer team um, will be available to pray with anybody that needs 
them to pray with them. And it's not just about things that you need. If you're saying, God, I'm beginning to see things, sense things, help me to see it clearer. Whatever that prayer is, go ask for help for that prayer. And then we're going to sing, and then we'll close out in just a little bit.